been gone for a couple of weekends. Uh, it's good to be back. We had an annual, my annual brother's trip. I've got three brothers, and we meet somewhere every summer. So, had an epic time in Denver uh, last week. So, I'll tell you about it sometime, or maybe not all of it. But uh, it was a great time. So today we are continuing our sermon series on faith, and we're going to talk about faith and doubting. And the Bible actually has a very realistic attitude toward doubting. And so on the one hand, the Bible readily acknowledges that good-hearted people, I mean people who really know God, sometimes experience doubt. So for example, Psalm 73, Asaph uh, is wrestling with the goodness of God. He looks around, he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and he actually comes close to turning away from God. He wonders, is there really a point in seeking God? It doesn't look like it makes any difference in this world. And so the fact that the Bible actually lays out doubts and it articulates doubts suggests that, yeah, uh, doubts are a, a common, normal part of life. And of course, there are many different types of doubts. Some people have intellectual doubts, question you know, the, uh, the uh, problem of evil and have all sorts of intellectual doubts. Probably is just as common are the doubts that spring from our own experience. Uh, sometimes people have the accumulated disappointments of life and uh, it leads to doubt. Some people go through suffering and go through trials and hardship and emerge on the other side with a more tender, humble, heartfelt faith. Other people go through the same things, and they emerge on the other side full of doubts. Is God even for me? Is God with me? Or is all of this a mirage? Is it just fairy tales? Is this just stuff we tell each other on Sunday morning? But it's not really true. And so doubts are a normal part of life. And the Bible never encourages us to ignore doubts or pretend like they don't exist. As a matter of fact, the Bible would, would suggest, the passage we're going to look at today would suggest that we should bring those doubts out into the light uh, so that we can actually address them and deal with them. Uh, Jude 22 even tells us to show mercy to those who are doubting. And so on the one hand, the Bible really does uh, acknowledge that, that we, we have doubts sometimes, and it advocates a very compassionate attitude toward those who doubt. But on the other hand, and this is vital, I can't tell you this is so important for us to get, the Bible never exalts doubt as a virtue. In the world, sometimes people do, as if the, the zenith of your experience is doubting everything. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible advocates dealing with our doubt, addressing with our doubt, so that we can live by faith. And faith is just confidence in God. I believe God is who he says he is. I believe that he will do what he says he will do. And so that's the goal. And so you find a passage like James 1 that says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And he goes on to say that 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 person is unstable in all of his ways. And so the goal is always to move from doubt to faith. Uh, We can be patient, we're to be compassionate, but the goal is to move from doubt to faith. Today's passage is Matthew 14, verses 22 through 23. It's the account of Jesus and then Peter walking on the water. And we're going to see how Jesus very compassionately addresses uh, Peter's doubt. And uh, he diagnoses it and points him toward faith. And when you think about it, given the mission that Jesus was giving Peter and the other disciples, it was absolutely essential that they had this heartfelt uh, faith in him, 
confidence in him. If they were going to go to every people, every grouping of people on earth and make disciples, they had to believe that Jesus is faithful and that Jesus is powerful. And so they couldn't be full of doubts. They, they had to have this confidence, this deep confidence in him. And when you think about it, this, the same thing is true of us. We've got the very same mission. We've got this very same calling to, to lead people, people to a place where they are devoted to Jesus and they're following Jesus. And so the stakes are very high, what we do with our doubt. It really matters. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in Matthew 14. Well, beginning verse 22, but the previous passage explains how Jesus had fed the 5,000. He had started with this small meal that was five loaves and two fish, and he fed the 5,000. And as we'll see, Jesus expected his disciples to learn from such miracles. They were supposed to see today's troubles in light of yesterday's miracles. They were supposed to conclude, since Jesus was powerful, since he was faithful yesterday, he's going to be the same today. He's going to take care of me. He's going to show up in power. The the disciples really didn't do that, but they were supposed to learn from his track record and have a growing confidence in Jesus. Look at verse 22. We read this. Immediately, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And here in Matthew, we're not really told why Jesus was so forceful. And the, the language suggests he made them. You will get in the boat. You will go to the other side without me. And it doesn't tell us exactly why. It may be that he was creating the conditions that would allow him to come to them walking on the water. Uh, it may be what we're told in John 6, the crowds wanted to make Jesus king forcibly. Maybe he wanted to dismiss the disciples so that they wouldn't get caught up in such messianic fervor. Uh, but, but the immediate reason were given why Jesus dismissed his disciples is because he wanted to be alone. He wanted time without the disciples with his heavenly father. He wanted to pray alone to his heavenly father. Verse 23, and he had, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. God, give us that spirit. May we be like Jesus, who longed for this time in your presence. May we not view prayer as a chore, something we have to do. May we seek out these times and we can just be alone with you. And God, we can enjoy you. We can talk to you about the issues of our lives. Read in verse 20, 24, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the other gospel accounts confirm that the boat was in the middle of the lake and the winds kept the disciples from moving on to the other shore. And then verse 25 states rather matter-of-factly what happens next. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. Jesus walked on the water to the disciples. And the Romans divided the the time from sundown to sunup into four watches or four periods of time. And the fourth watch would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And so not surprisingly, we read in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So they were screaming for their lives. 
that's what I would do, okay? I, I've never seen anybody walk on water. If I was out in the middle of a lake in a boat and I saw somebody walking to me, I would be terrified. I would scream. I would cry out. And their best explanation is, this is a disembodied spirit. This is a phantasm. This is, this is a ghost walking on the water. <laughs> so it's, they cried out, right? They were screaming. They were terrified. And uh, Jesus, in his compassion, did this. But immediately, he didn't wait 30 minutes. He didn't let them, you know, keep screaming for a long. Immediately, he spoke to them saying, and then he gave two commands and a statement. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so he bookends it. He says, take courage. He says, do not be afraid. And in the middle, he says, it is I. Could literally be translated, I am. I am. And so for those of us living after the resurrection, we see a not so veiled reference to Jesus is is declaring who he is. He is the great I am. He is the, the always existing one. He is the son of God in the flesh. And so take courage. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am. I am God in the flesh right in front of you. And it's fascinating. The other Gospels record this event, Mark Mark 6 and John 6, but they end here. And the emphasis in those Gospels is on the identity of Jesus being revealed. He's the one who can walk on water. But Matthew continues the account, and he emphasizes Peter's response to Jesus' revelation as the I am. And what we read next has great implications for us as we seek to move past our doubts and we seek to to develop a deeper faith, a deeper confidence in God. And Peter said to him, verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Isn't that amazing? And so we, we often give Peter a hard time, right? Because it was so often so wrong, okay? He's kind of an easy, easy mark. But you've got to love his transparency. Nobody else said, Jesus, we want to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Only Peter said that. And so we've got to love his boldness. And Jesus was not offended. He said, Peter, don't you dare ask me if you can do what I'm doing, right? Because later Jesus would say, as a matter of fact, the works that I do, you're going to do. And greater works than these, because I'm going back to God, we're going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus wasn't at all offended that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me, and I will come to you on the water. And so Jesus did exactly as Peter had asked. Verse 29, and he said, come. And again, very matter-of-factly. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. And so Peter exercised faith. Jesus commanded Peter, come to me. Peter actually believed that if Jesus commands me to do something, he's going to empower me to do just that. And so by faith, he stepped out of, the, out of the boat. He was walking on the water toward Jesus. Verse 30, however, uh, describes what Jesus would later uh, diagnose as doubt. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. He has fixed his eyes on Jesus. When he looked at the, the waves, he saw what the wind was, was blowing up. He became frightened. And it's interesting how Matthew says it. He says, he, he said, beginning to sink. Uh, like what John Bloom says in his book called uh, uh, Not by Sight. He points out that Peter the Rock 
did not sink like a rock. It's not like he had doubt and boom, he's at the bottom of the sea. It says beginning to sink. Apparently, Jesus let him slowly sink down. And uh, he was terrified again. And to his credit, Peter didn't turn around and cry out to the disciples in the boat, rescue me, throw me a line. He looked to Jesus and he prayed this prayer, Lord, save me, okay? So he doubted, but then he fixed his eyes on Jesus again. He cried out, Lord, save me. And in his mercy, Jesus did just that. Immediately, again, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we shouldn't hear anger. We shouldn't hear condemnation in Jesus' voice. I think we should hear kindness, maybe a hint of sadness, but we should hear compassion in Jesus' voice. He wasn't condemning people, Peter. He was just diagnosing. He was just saying, what's true? Peter, you're doubting. Uh, you have, compared to what it could be, what it should be, you have a little faith. He said, why do you doubt? Don't you understand? I'm the same one who fed the 5,000 yesterday. I'm the same one that's done all these miracles. I'm the same one that's promised you all these things. Why do you doubt? Don't you understand? I can be trusted. And so Peter had enough faith to step out of the boat and begin walking on the water, but ultimately, he believed that the wind and the waves were more powerful than Jesus' word. And so he doubted whether or not Jesus could enable him to keep walking on the water. But again, Jesus had compassion. He didn't let Peter sink all the way under. He didn't bob up and down for a while. Jesus immediately, he, he reached out. He took, it, took hold of him, and together they stepped into the boat. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped the lesson was over. Jesus had proven the point. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Jesus could not only be trusted before the storm and after the storm, he proved he can be trusted in the storm. The lesson was sure. And so we read in verse 33, and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, they ascribed him worth. You are certainly God's son. And that's what people do whenever Whenever, wherever, they realize who Jesus is, his, his identity and his power, they worship him. You are certainly God's son. And so it's an amazing account, isn't it? And, and as you know, the goal of this sermon series is not just to fill our mind with more facts about faith. We don't want to get to any of this and say, well, we have more knowledge about faith now. Now, we actually want a deeper dependence on Jesus, both individually and as a congregation. Some of you are facing things where you have to have faith. You have to have confidence in Jesus. It's not enough just to try your hardest and hope things work out. You need the faith that moves the hand of God. If the Bible is clear about anything, it's that God responds to our faith. When we actually trust him, he moves. And is there any doubt that we as a church, if we're going to do anything other than just play church and just meet a few times during the week, if we want to see the power of God in our lives and in our midst and in our town and across the world, we have to be people of faith. And so before we look at the implications of this passage, I want you to bring to mind uh, a situation or an issue in your life where you absolutely need God to work. Uh, what, what do you need God to do in your life? And it could be any number of things. 
And so for you, you might be brokenhearted over some relationship in your life. You are just destroyed. And you need God to do something that you cannot do. You need to, to have your heart mended. And you need to experience joy again. Some of you would say, you know, I, I don't even know what that means. I haven't had joy in so long. That's just an idea to me. And so that's what you need. Or maybe you're battling some addiction or some compulsion or some destructive behavior. And uh, you really need God to give you the capacity to be obedient. Not for a week or not for a few days, but for the rest of your life. You need God to come through in power. Or maybe you're carrying some burden that's weighing you down. And uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, you love somebody that's in a really bad, dark place. You need God to rescue. Or maybe you're reaching out to somebody who needs life. They need salvation. They need what only Jesus can give. And it just breaks your heart to think of them experiencing time and eternity without Jesus, without a relationship with God. Or maybe you're fearful about your, your future. Maybe uh, the, the core relationships in your life are in turmoil. Or maybe your career path is uncertain. Or maybe it's your finances and you're not sure how you're going to make it, how you're going to pay your bills, or how you're ever going to retire. And so you've got all these questions about the future. All of these circumstances expose our doubts if we, leave, if we let them. And so it's the things you really care about that will expose whether you have a deep confidence, faith, trust in Jesus, or whether you doubt. And so again, you don't really need to, you don't merely need to suck it up and try harder. You need confidence that God is willing to give you all the grace you need, or God is willing just to intervene and do something miraculous in your life. And so if we take Peter's experience as a paradigm, there are three ways to move from doubt to faith, okay? And so I'll just tell you right now, nobody's going to be wowed by what I'm about to say. Uh, it's in your bulletin. It's uh, very clear. But three things, if Peter's experience is a paradigm for us. Number one, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Begin walking on the water. Remember that unless, until Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water, he didn't, he, his doubt was not exposed. It was there, but it wasn't exposed. And remember that, that Peter asked permission he checked with Jesus. He didn't just in presumption say, Jesus did it. I can do that. He asked Jesus, and Jesus commanded him, come. Once he was convinced, this is the will of God. This is Jesus' command. That's when he got out of the boat. He became convinced that, that God would empower what he commanded him to do. And so when we step out of the boat, it doesn't mean we just think up something crazy and try it. When we step out of the boat, we discern what we understand to be the will of God. This is God's will. This is what God wants me to do. And we, we discern that primarily from the word, but we also do it in conversation with others. We get counsel. We talk about the word because we get things wrong all the time. We refine each other's understanding of God's will as we look at scripture. And we pray for God's leading. And it, just, just honestly, if we want to know the will of God, uh, it's there, okay? The, the things we need to be doing in our lives, it's really clear in Scripture if we care to notice it. And so, for example, if you're fearful about the future, you might hear Jesus' command in Matthew 7. What does he say? What does he, this is the will of God. Ask, seek, and knock, okay? Why would a person do that? Because those who ask receive, those who seek 
find, and those who knock, the door is open for, for them. And so if you, you're fearful about the future, stepping out of the boat for you means seeking God, asking, seeking, knocking in a more intentional way than you've ever done in your life, believing that God will lead you. Or if you're battling some, some addiction or some destructive habit, you might seek to experience what Paul said in Philippians 4. Paul wasn't just bragging. This, again, this is, this is the normal Christian life. Paul is able to say, I can do all things, everything God wants me to do through Christ who strengthens me. And so he wasn't confident in himself. He wouldn't say, I can do all this, everything God wants me to do. He said, no, I can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. And so for you stepping out of the boat when it comes to the, the habits of the flesh, maybe saying, okay, God, I'm not experiencing this, but this is what I want. I want to be able to say what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or if you're brokenhearted and you're experiencing some loss, uh, you, might, you might have just given up and you say, you know, I'm just playing it safe. I'm just staying in the boat. But you might want to get out of the boat and say, okay, Psalm 147, 3, that's what I want. It says, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so for you, stepping out of the boat, boat might be, mean taking advantage of what the rest of the body of Christ can offer. You're like, it's not working on my own. My heart is still broken. It's not being mended up. I need to let the body of Christ do what it can do. So that might mean for you uh, joining our divorce care group. That might be the thing that God uses to bring you healing. Or maybe if you're, you've experienced some other type of loss, you might say, you know, I'm going to get a, a Stephen minister. We have this whole team of people. They've ex experienced dozens of hours of training, and their sole purpose is to come alongside people who are hurting, who've experienced loss, and be a good friend who can listen and pray and ask questions. So for you, getting out of the boat may mean saying, you know, trying to fix this on my own, it's not working, okay? So I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to say, I need somebody else to help me. And so that might be what you need to do when it comes to stepping out of the boat. So take action. Don't be paralyzed. Take action based on Scripture, based on the counsel of others, and based on the Spirit's leading. The third thing, notice when you're sinking and name your doubts. And so Peter's doubt was exposed as he walked on the water. He took his eyes off Jesus. He looked at the wind. He became frightened. He began to sink. And, P and Jesus labeled his doubt. Jesus told him. He didn't condemn him, but he said, Peter, you don't have enough faith. Uh, you you are, are walking in doubt. He, he doubted Jesus' ability to enable him to walk on the water. And once he understood this, then he could grow in his faith. And so it was vital that he, he, uh, he label his doubt. And in a similar way, uh, when we notice that we're sinking, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we, we, we start in this downward spiral, we need to be very careful at that point because it's very possible if you entertain your doubts long enough, it's very possible for those doubts to, to send their roots down into your heart and you can become a cynical, bitter person. And instead of having the humility that accompanies faith, trust, confidence in God. Uh, you see it so often. There's this arrogance that, that accompanies cynicism, and doubt can lead to unbelief, and unbelief can sabotage everything God wants to do in your life. 
And so be very careful when you notice doubt. Don't just ignore it. Don't just pretend like it's not there. Label it. And so if you're, you're wondering about your future, if you become like Asaph in Psalm 73, you, you should actually name it. You say, God, honestly, I'm not sure you're going to take care of me. I, I'm not convinced. Uh, it looks like you take care of the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. You feed, you feed the animals, but I'm not sure you're going to take, take care of me. Better to label it, name it. Say, God, I doubt. If you're dealing with some destructive habit, uh, you might take your eyes off Jesus and you might become fixated on your flesh or your temptation and you start to sink. So It's so much better. And instead of ignoring it and pretending like it's not the case, name it. Say, God, quite honestly, I think my flesh is more powerful than your grace. Honestly, that, that's what I obviously believe because it looks to be so much bigger, so much more powerful. I don't think you can get me to the place where you say, where I can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you see what you're doing? You're, you're bringing it out into the light. You're exposing it to the light. You name it. That's a doubt. Not so you can wallow in it, but so you can identify it, move past it to faith. If you're brokenhearted, if you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you're, 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 you're no longer seeking his comfort, you're no longer seeking the Spirit's joy in your life, perhaps you need to admit that you doubt whether or not God is for you. You say, Jesus, you promised you wouldn't leave me as an orphan. I feel like an orphan right now. I feel all alone in this world. Uh, I don't feel like you're binding up my broken heart. And so again, you, you, if you have doubts, bring them out into the light, name them, label them so you can move past them. And then the third thing is keep learning from Jesus, keep crying out to him. You know, when he was sinking, Peter called out, he, he called out to Jesus, Lord, save me. That's a great prayer. I'd encourage you to memorize it. It's three words, Lord, save me. You might need to pray that prayer 20 times a day. When you take your eyes off Jesus, you find yourself sinking, cry out, Lord, save me. God, give me the grace I need. God, intervene here. I can't save myself. Lord, save me. And, and remember, it's kind of fascinating in, in Mark. Uh, Mark actually said of the disciples that they had not gained any, any insight from the incident of the loaves. They had not learned the lesson. They didn't learn, Jesus can feed 5,000 people with a little meal. Surely he can take care of us while we're in the boat, okay? And so Jesus expects us to learn. Notice God's track record, not just in your life. If you only look at your life, if you only say, well, if it doesn't happen to me, I don't care about it. It doesn't matter. All I care about is what Jesus does for me. If that's your attitude, you're going to have a very small sample of what God can do. Notice other people's lives. Take other people's testimony. See the powerful things that God has done in other people's lives. Be encouraged by that. Let that grow your faith. Learn from that. God has a track record. And, and I would encourage you, and this, again, this is a vital, this is a vital point. Uh, we need to do this not only individually, but we need to do it in community. If you are full of doubt, if you have serious doubts, either intellectual doubts or doubts about just experiential things, you need to be very careful who you take your doubts to. If you surround yourself mainly with other people who have doubts, 
and you have your doubts confirmed, that can take you to a bad place, really bad place. You, you need to, to also be around. I'm not saying shun those people, but you also need to be around people who say, I understand that. I get that. I have doubted too. I thought those things. But Jesus is faithful. Jesus is powerful. Jesus will come through in your situation. He will give you grace to handle it or he will intervene and change your circumstances. And so we keep learning. We keep crying out to him. You know, today we're coming to the Lord's Supper, and I would encourage you to bring your needs to God in prayer. And uh, if you have identified doubts in your, in your mind and in your heart, I would encourage you to, to see those doubts in light of the body and blood of Christ. And so faith is not just an abstract idea, and faith is not trusting in some impersonal force out in the universe. Faith means Jesus you died for me, you gave your body for me, you shed your blood for me, I believe you can be trusted. I put my confidence in you because you have proven that you're for me. If you have done the greatest thing for me, surely you'll do lesser things in my life. And so bring your doubts to Jesus. Confess them, admit them, and let God deal with them. Uh, Use this time as a time to grow in your faith. Say to Jesus what the disciples said, you are certainly, certainly God's son. If you don't know anything else, if you don't have any other certainty in your life, say what the disciples said, you are certainly God's son. So if you're a believer in Jesus, we would invite you to come to the Lord's table. Uh, Please hold the elements. We'll pass the bread until everybody's received. And then we'll eat together. And if you need allergen-free communion bread, you'll find that in the center of the tray. And we'll eat the bread, and then we'll pass the cup. And after all have received, then we'll drink together as well. But I'd like for those who are going to serve the Lord's table to come forward. And I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that during this time, you would work in our hearts and in our minds. God, we bring you these situations that have, have come to mind. We bring you our needs. And God, those who have identified doubts. We bring you those doubts. God, we want to bring them out into the light. We want to see them in light of the body and blood of Christ. God, we want to see your faithfulness. We want to see your goodness. God, we don't want to stay in our doubt. We certainly don't want it to progress to unbelief. And so, God, we bring ourselves before you. We are willing We are willing to let you change our hearts and our minds. So that's what we want. Uh, Have your way during this time. Search us, O Lord. Try us. See if there's anything within us that's hurtful. We pray it in Jesus' name.